everybody, and welcome again to another conversation with Chess Leadership. Uh, I'm Dave Shulman, uh, president of Chess for 2022. I'm here with Dr. Demons Haynes. Uh, go ahead, please introduce yourself to the folks. Good morning, Demons Haynes from Jackson, Mississippi. I'm a professor of medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care, and I'm the associate dean for admissions for the School of Medicine there also. So what I'd like to do is hear a little bit more. I've known you for quite a while. Yes. But I know your involvement with chess predates my awareness of, of, of your presence and your, and your incredible contributions to the organization. So can you talk a little bit about how you started to get involved in chess and uh, sort of what the different kinds of responsibilities you've had with the chess have been? Uh, you know, surprisingly, probably most people wouldn't realize that I started uh, when I was a resident. So I had an interest in pulmonary and critical care, and the division chief at that time decided to sponsored my trip to an annual meeting. It was Debbie Shore, she was in Jackson at the time. First time I'd ever been to a chest annual meeting. Uh, had a great time, just, it was amazing. When you're immersed in, uh, you know, the opening session had all these tumblers, it was all like a Cirque du Soleil show. Amazing I there. that meeting. Oh yeah. my God, it was amazing. It was my first time there. And so going to the different sessions was amazing. And I said, oh, this is gonna be great when I start a fellowship. So when I got in the fellowship, got involved, I actually got a diversity travel grant while I was in uh, fellowship. So got to come to a meeting, participate, had to do a little write up afterwards. And that was really good. Uh, and then when I finished fellowship and started practice, I became the program director for uh, our fellowship program in Jackson. And I became involved in the Association of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine Program Directors Group. Probably where I met you, I think. Yeah, and a lot of folks, uh, Geneva Tatum, just a lot of different folks, and really loved that bond and the educational. Of course, that was when we were part of Chess at the time, and the educational offerings that we offered at the meeting. So that was great. That was my initial foray. And then I got a chance to serve to do a pulmonary board review. So Mike Bauman was president at the time. And Mike actually also gave me my opportunity to write my first paper as a <laughs> Junior faculty member. Now, writing uh, a paper is like a double-edged sword. It sounds like a real honor. Exactly. Unless you do it with Mike. <laughs> we, we love former President Mike Bauman. This is not about him. We do indeed. But man, my writing skills, really, my academic writing skills had to be fine-tuned. Yeah. And let me tell you, he knew how to beat you into submission until it was fine-tuned. What was the paper about? Uh, it was about plural disease. So we were doing a review about plural disease. And of course, he was a plural expert. And so he was like, that's the end of the year review I got to do at Chess was about plural disease. And he said, okay, let's write this paper. He had written it before, it's time for a rewrite. And of course he knew all of the things, but he let me learn a few things on my own, but it was, it was an amazing opportunity. And I am forever grateful for him for that. But he got me involved in doing some presentations at Chess. And then I got to moderate some sessions and I went, okay, this is great. So you've told a, a nice success story. You got early involvement. You had uh, Mike, who's a, an incredible former president, great guy. So you have clearly climbed through the ranks to the point that you've now given a keynote address at our annual meeting, which very few people have done. Yes. What do you think has, certainly knowing you know, people, getting to know Mike, former, but clearly there's a lot of skills that you've got. What is it that you would encourage folks who want to climb the ranks at chest? What do they need to try to do? Not that anybody should follow in any one person's footsteps, but what are the skills they need to try to get that success? Oh man, I, th I think that's a great question because when I think about that, I have to say, it's not being afraid to communicate, not being afraid to ask questions, uh, for sure not being afraid to meet people. So sometimes when you're at these large meetings and you see people in positions of leadership, we're intimidated, even though we're all well-trained, smart, uh, gifted people, 
you're kind of intimidated when there's the president or the president-elect or the chair of this committee. And it can be intimidating for anyone. And so you have to step outside that comfort zone and say, okay, let me meet them. Or ask someone who's there and say, could you introduce me to them? There's a committee I would love to be involved in. And that's what happened with me, how I got involved in training and transitions. You raise a point that I have been sensitive to for a long time. And I think neither you nor I really thinks of ourselves as particularly intimidating. We're friendly. We love hanging out with people. We have a good time. Yes. But I also think you and I share the same big personality. Yes. You and I both have big personalities. That's true. Can you speak a little bit to, and again, I I may be able to address this, but I'd love to hear your perspective on it. Do people misperceive the way we comport ourselves as like, oh, I don't, that guy is scary. I don't want to go talk to him. Absolutely. Uh, and, and it's not because of our personalities, as you mentioned, but it's a position that you hold, right? So we could talk about our positions at our home institutions. When you are the admissions dean or you're the fellowship program director, people are intimidated because that's a route they want to go. That's something they want to do. They don't want to do anything that would embarrass themselves or make you think of them in a way that would not be becoming. And so they're trying to figure out how to gingerly walk around that space. And so I think one of the things we could do at Chest and and, in any organization is really make it known. Hey, you can come talk to me. Yeah, I have my group of friends and my folks that I love seeing at the meeting. We're going to hang out at the bar. We're going to do some things. But I'm also approachable. And just make that known. and, And that way staff or other people could tell folks, you know, he's approachable. You could go talk to him and he'll give you some advice. Despite the fact that we say it, people are worried, like, oh, they're just saying it for lip service. They don't actually mean it. But I know in your case, you are an incredibly gregarious, welcoming guy and are happy to sort of work with anybody. But it does take that little extra activation energy for folks to to come up and and join us. It does. You mentioned a little while ago a topic that's a little bit more serious. You you brushed on it. Um, It's a big opportunity for improvement for chess, and not just for chess, but for many organizations. So you mentioned that you were the recipient of a diversity and travel grant. So I think what you're referencing is that for many years we had a program where I can't recall how many, maybe 20 folks from around the country who were from traditionally underrepresented medicine backgrounds got opportunities uh, at Chest's expense to kind of fly in, to get to meet folks. Um, They they attended for free, but hopefully they got some opportunities to meet with leadership. And I remember meeting a lot of people through those programs. I don't know that those programs moved the needle as much as we'd hoped they would. And we'll talk about current efforts, but do you have a sense of what, I hate to say went wrong, because I know we gave a lot of people great experiences, but what were the potential opportunities for improvement in that prior program? Uh, Honestly, I think it's the the opportunity to keep people engaged. So if you make one touch, it may be a great touch, right? And it was, airfare registration that you talked about, hotel. But how do you keep those folks engaged? And so one part of the program that was added later was, hey, write us a paragraph about your experience. But having someone connect, uh, it has some good parts, I agree. And there are a couple of uh, fellows who followed me around Chess the last couple of in-person meetings that I actually still keep in touch with, try to get them involved, one of which I know is, is more involved. So it was successful in that, you know, if you can reach one or two people, it's successful. But the, the outreach efforts for it could be so much more impactful when you get a larger group involved. Uh, and so I think we have to be intentional with saying, how do we keep folks engaged that we provided this opportunity to? My recollection of the program, and it, I was just sort of starting to come up through leadership as that program um, was sort of pulled back a little bit on is, and I met some incredible people who were recipients of the grants, is yeah. you know, you, you, they were each assigned a mentor within, yes. within CHESS, and I was one of those mentors. Yes. And I had a great time with them. I worried 
more so now maybe than then, that the fact that it wasn't somebody who looked like them who they were, who they were working with. Yep. And it, they were well-intentioned. I think I was well-intentioned. I think my colleagues were well-intentioned. But we were probably not as effective as mentoring as we could have been had, had we been able to bridge that gap. Can you speak to a little bit about the importance of representation? So, so that is true. Um, you know, if, if you look at DEI work in, in the space, you'll always hear us say representation matters. People like to see folks that look like them. Um, I, and it's not just in race and ethnicity, but that happens a lot because they feel like, hey, here's somebody I may have a connection with. They may be two totally different people, but they may think because there are similarities in race or ethnicity that they can connect with them. So sometimes that's a barrier, but I don't want that to get in the way of something that's really important, which whether we talk about it in this space or not sponsorship, you don't have to be a person of the same race or ethnicity to sponsor somebody else, whether it be in chest or at an academic institution or at a job in general. That sponsorship just means, hey, I'm gonna show you the way. And so I've had a lot of sponsors who didn't look like me. I can name a, a bunch, I won't, because then I'll leave somebody out and then I'm gonna be in trouble. <laughs> but I think it's the same way. We, so, but probably what we could have done a little better at chess with the mentors is say, hey guys, it's okay if you don't have a lot of similarities. But here's something we'd ask you for. It's, it will be quasi or maybe akin to a mentorship program that you say, maybe you touch base with them every quarter. Just reach out to them or something to show that connectivity. A couple of the ones, like I said, that I mentored, we keep in touch on Twitter, which I was not even on Twitter until Chris Carroll got me on at two meetings ago. New Orleans welcome, meeting, I welcome think. Welcome to Twitter. <laughs> so I got on a couple years ago and he was like, you got to be on here. And we took a picture together in New Orleans. So I think something like that. And, and it's so much easier for us to keep in touch. Yeah. Stella sends me a Twitter message. Martin sends me a Twitter message. Stella. Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Uh, they, they send me a Twitter <clears throat> message. And one of those that follow me at the annual meetings now just interviewed for a fellowship at our program in Jackson. That's awesome. So there's ways to do it. And I think we just have to be a little more intentional. So um, over the last couple of years, you and a number of other really important folks at Chest have been involved in, in the DEI efforts. So do you, and again, I, this is many people involved in this next level of endeavor, so you may not have a sense of the full scope, but do you have a sense of what, we clearly know that the, the makeup of our patients using multiple metrics, race being one of them, yeah. is not represented in, even in the physician base. Right. We know that the physician base demographics are not represented in the leadership base. Yes. So we've got to start potentially very junior at, at how do we get more folks who are traditionally represented in medical school. Yep. And then once we get them into medical school, how they successful in medical school, yeah. and then into our profession, and then into our society. Yeah. Where do folks like us, other folks who are sort of really high up in leadership, where do we start in this project? You know, this, this will sound far-fetched to some folks, but honest to goodness, we traditionally re recruit fellows in residency, right? Of course. I mean, I was a program director for 10 years, so you, want, you focus on residency programs. <clears throat> Maybe medical students to get, get, get some interest. But as you mentioned, the pipeline is, is different and it's not as diverse. There's a lot of data and literature that shows to really affect change, particularly when you're looking at persons of color and wanting them to go into science-based careers, you have to start even earlier. Like kids are watching in middle school, junior high, and saying, I want to be a football player, I don't want to be a basketball player, which is great, because they can do that, but they're doing that to the exclusion of STEM fields, particularly medicine. And so they may not have seen anyone that looked like them. I didn't meet my first African-American doctor until I was a medical student. That's amazing. So I never knew one, never throughout high school, college, 
got to med school, first time I ever met one. So then you look at them, I knew I wanted to be a doctor clearly by that time, but when you look at them, you go, oh wow, I could do this. Because initially when I went to med school, I thought I'm just gonna do primary care. I can't do, I, I don't know if I can be a specialist. It's great that I got in here. And then I realized, wow, I can do these things when there was encouragement from some folks that look like me. So I think we have to be a little innovative, like one of our themes, innovation, and say, what can we do to contribute to those dreams? So, you know, doing some mentoring in some under-resourced schools, uh, like middle high school, schools. high schools. Yeah. High schools even would be a great place, just so they see folks. And it doesn't have to be, it, representation matters, but if they saw a doctor like you come to the school to volunteer in their school, Maybe you don't look like a bunch of those students, but you took the time. Yeah. And they say, here's somebody that took the time to come in and tell us about his profession and encourage us to consider this. It makes a difference. That's a great point. So, uh, so for, thanks for addressing that. I, I, I do know that this is a major focus. I think we are all aware that this is not going to be a short-term solution. That whatever solutions that we uh, push towards or this, uh, the problem need to start early, as you've nicely hinted. This is not gonna yeah. be, oh, we'll, we'll be better next year. I think right. if we can slowly move the needle on better representation, better diversity, better inclusion, being more welcoming. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people sometimes are unintentionally uh, standoffish. Yeah. We may not come across as, as well. In the same way that you, we talked about this big personality earlier, yeah. sometimes we can do things that unintentionally for us are a little standoffish to folks who don't look like us. Yeah. And we just need to be more mindful and keep That's the true. communication open. I, I One of the things I've constantly worried about in this space is because we're, we're so sensitive to these issues, sometimes we don't have the important conversations. And oh. one of the things that you have been incredible at is, and, and certainly not alone in this regard, but I think I have seen you with me, with others, when we do something unintentionally exclusive. You say, hey, look, Dave, I know you didn't mean to, but just so you know. And again, peop some people just, including myself, aren't aware when we do those, tra and it's make tough. those transgressions. It, it's tough. It's tough for me to say it. It's tough. It's tough for me to hear it. It's tough for you to hear it. And so, wow, how do you have those difficult conversations? So uh, it's definitely not the same, but we have difficult conversations in the ICU every day, yeah. in the clinic every day. And so how do we transition to having those conversations and and in a way that's open and welcoming and not judgmental not say wow i can't believe you did that but it's something as simple as say hey did you know that probably is offensive to a lot of people and you're like wait what are you talking about you know we, we use big words microaggressions right but some people don't even know what microaggressions are so it might even start there yeah. a good friend of mine who's our dean of students we had a meeting with our underrepresented students and they talked about microaggressions and i love that he did this he stood up he said let me just be honest with you i didn't know what microaggressions were until you all start talking about this he said so i'm confessing that i have work to do and learning to do and so people will wonder why do people keep talking about you know uh, microaggression training and uh, you know implicit bias training because it's still needed it's still needed and so but that can't be the only thing we focus on well we've had some good conversations about incredibly important topics again thank you for your hard work uh, at chest and in other places and trying thank to you. make the world a better place and to make our organization better thank we're not you. quite done I yet. knew he was gonna so make me is, go there is a well there's a so <laughs> we're gonna move more to the personal piece now okay. because I think getting to know we talked about uh, approachability and so uh, in, in our closing minutes, uh, getting to know you a little bit better, just a couple of sort of getting to know you kinds of questions. So I don't know if you can sing or not. I'm not going to ask you to sing God, here. God, no. But what's the song that if it comes on the radio, 
even if you don't, if you're maybe if you're on your own, you will always sing along. If you're in public, oh you'll feel God. like you want to sing along. But what's that song either from your youth or from recent? Like it just, it's that earworm that you're like, I love this song. Man, wow. So it's funny. I love Patti LaBelle. I don't know if people know this. Well, uh, I know Patti LaBelle. I didn't know that you loved Patti I LaBelle. I love Patti LaBelle, and and she every time I hear her singing, "You Are My Friend." Oh yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> that that is awesome. It's like one of my favorites. That's good. That's that's a that's a good choice. So it's been a while. That's that's not a new song. Not at all. I mean, I guess I'm showing my age if these grays are not showing it. <laughs> that's a good. All right. So, uh, what is um, the movie that if you're sort of flipping the TV channels and and you see it like oh, even though you've seen it a dozen times before, you're always going to stop on that channel and watch that movie for a while. Let me tell you, this is going to surprise people, and I'm being risky here. Uh, Underworld. It's funny, right? So it's a vampire werewolf movie. I'm shocked. I, yes, I knew, it, I knew it was going to shock people. <laughs> Let me tell you, life is so full of so much reality that my escape is sci-fi movies. And Underworld is one of those. And because it's my escape from reality, but then I also envision, man, what would I do if I had those powers? And, I, and so now this is where it becomes corny because I'm like, if I had those powers, wow, what could I do with some patience? What could I do with some of these things? And you know, they're always drinking blood and, uh, but the curative powers and the ability. So I, it's a escape from reality, but my nerd mind still takes me to, what can I do back with my patience with this power? They made, they, I like how you uh, somehow come up with a weird parallel from, from underworld to doctoring. But I, all right, you're like, you're my guest. I'm going to let you have that. They made sequels to the movie. Are oh, I've good? watched every one. Yeah, absolutely. They're all good. They're okay. all good. They so, are all really, really good. This is, uh, on that note, <laughs> it's a perfect ending. It was unintentional, but a perfect ending. Dr. Haynes, A, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank thanks you. for everything you do for Chess. Thank you. And uh, look forward to your ongoing work and climbs Thank up you. through the ranks of leadership. Thank you. I appreciate right. you. Thanks for joining us again today, everybody. Thank you.